Hi, GP learners. Welcome to another episode of the Primary Care and Health Tech News Blast. Um, in this episode, we've got a lot of updates for you, so I hope you enjoy. And if this is the first time we're meeting, I'm Dr. Gandalf of eGP Learning, where I look at supporting you with technology-enhanced primary care and learning. So make sure you click on the subscribe button and on the bell to make sure that you get notified of all these updates first and foremost. Shall we begin? So in this episode, the first thing I'm going to cover is the GP um, partnership review that has just been released this Monday. Um, so hopefully many of you have had a chance to have a look at it. It's a fairly good document. And I must admit, um, I was quite impressed by the recommendations that have been made by Nigel Watson, who's been leading this review over the past few months. Um, and in particular, there's quite a focus on digital aspects. In it. So looking at updating GP records, um, looking at improving the infrastructure and stuff so that hopefully primary care can function quite clearly. All the recommendations are listed in the show notes. So make sure you have a look. So I'm not going to go through them in great detail. Um, but I guess one thing I would comment on. So when the interim re review came out, I was quite critical of the fact that um, there wasn't a comment in there about the baseline increase um, for the global sum. Um, and this is something that I know Nigel responded to online on social media and stuff, as well as fair, fair few people have said, let's see what happens. I'm afraid I'm still going to make the same comment. And um, the fact that there isn't a baseline increase in the global sum, I think, is a massive oversight of this particular review and not recommending that that happens. Um, it's obviously commented that increases in funding to primary care need to happen. And it does appear that the main vehicle for this is the long term plan, which I think will have some benefit. And as we read more about the long term plan and see how that develops, I think we will see increase in funding to primary care. However, I still maintain that a baseline increase in the global sum would be the quickest and most significant way of improving partnership because it will lead to improving of the staffing levels and the delivery for practices and partnerships almost instantly. Um, we are still awaiting the announcement of the GP contract and hopefully we'll see some further developments from that point of view. And I guess one of the key things about the review is it does highlight the interactions with all the other documents that are due to come out. So clear focus on, for example, the indemnity review and, and the plans for sorting out, hopefully, indemnity for all of our you know, primary care workers and stuff, as well as the premises review, which those of you who've been following my own story will know that that's a big piece of work that, you know, potentially assorted would have a massive impact in terms of how GPs and partnerships can function. So I, I will soften my previous statement in terms of saying that the review is not fit for purpose but I do still feel that it is a major omission of the review not to ask for it. And it is within the terms of the review to ask for a baseline increase. Obviously, where the Department of Health and Social Care offer it and how that's offered is yet to be determined. But relying on the long-term plan to deliver it, I think is a missed opportunity. Um, interestingly, if any of you want to have a look at a more local um, summary of this, um, our, the Nottinghamshire LMC Chief Executive Michael Wright has written an excellent summary of both long-term plan and the GB partnership review, which again, the link will be in the show notes or on the blog post and stuff. So feel free to have a look at that, particularly if you're Nottinghamshire based. Some really good resources in there in terms of support as well. Next news story. Well, sticking with Nottingham, and it's a hot news story that's just broken today. Um, some of you would have read about the BBC News article that looks about GP coverage across the country and how this is shockingly in terms of variation and stuff. I'll be honest, to many of you that work within primary care, it probably won't be a big surprise. And there are definitely areas where I have more doctors and areas that have less doctors. And the reason why I mentioned Nottinghamshire in particular, so the area that apparently has the most coverage for doctors is Rushcliffe, where I actually live. 
Um, so apparently well doctored and stuff. Interestingly, where I actually work, which is St. Anne's, only a couple of miles away, um, is in one of the worst categories. It's not by any means the worst, um, but yeah, definitely a difference in terms of the staffing and that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, I think it is interesting to see that stark difference just by a short geographical distance. A lot of that, I think, is down to the way that healthcare is delivered, and hopefully we will see changes with things like PCNs and the long-term plan being able to tackle some of this local variation that we see. But ultimately, we know that workload is an issue. We know that finance is an issue. And actually, if you want to attract people to work in an area, there needs to be decent work-life balance. There needs to be decent pay. Um, and that's the reality of the world that we live in. So hopefully we'll see changes happen. The fact that this seems a shocking surprise to many people, well, sorry, you know, it's what it is. Um, and effectively, I think, you know, to tackle this, we need to see changes happen. I'm really keen to see um, health inequalities being tackled. And, and this potentially is one way of delivering that to ensure that people within more challenging areas and rural areas have a better service in terms of their healthcare provision moving forward. Next up, a slightly different story that some of you may have seen on Twitter. So this was about um, a, a news article again um, in the BBC about a doctor who um, their practice and their reception team basically silenced a patient who refused to see a doctor purely and simply because they were Asian. So this is a story up in Scotland. Um, the links are in the show notes and on the blog posts and stuff. And I think it was encouraging and empowering to see um, our reception teams who work exceptionally hard supporting their doctor. Um, the article is basically that the a patient didn't want to see a doctor because they felt they were Asian. The receptionist staff replied, well, she's Scottish. And, you know, what do Scottish people look like? Uh, probably read the article. It, it does a lot more justice and stuff. But the reason why I wanted to raise this is that it, one of the things that I think worth commenting on is the concept of institutionalized prejudice within healthcare. So one is definitely about race, and I think it's something that very few people will tolerate um, appropriately and effectively so. However, another area is about the institutionalized race prejudice, sorry, um, in terms of seeing a doctor based on their gender. And this is something that I've seen occasionally and something I've campaigned against it locally in our area as well, which was fortunately taken forward. And that's the concept that, you know, patients should be able to determine which gender of clinician they see. The argument against this, and I, some, I know some people will, will feel very strongly opposed to my view, is that actually the gender of the doctor you see should be irrelevant. The reason? A doctor is trained to do a job. There's obviously elements of comfort, both either in terms of a cultural, and there may be clearly some episodes where you know seeing a female doctor has some benefit, particularly in certain situations of things like abuse, but similarly also for male clinicians and stuff in, in that concept. But the view that you should choose your doctor based on their gender, I would argue, is no different in some ways choosing them by race because it's still prejudice based on a characteristic. And actually, should we continue and support that kind of ideal? And in some areas where um, GP contracts and you know local reviews and that kind of stuff have insisted that practices must offer a male or, or female doctor at the same time which for most practices shouldn't be a problem because they're large enough to do so. However, for single-handed GPs, that can sometimes be a challenge. And, you know, particularly was something that I felt we needed to campaign against. Anyway, more than happy to hear your views. And I'm sure there'll definitely be people that disagree with my perspective. 
happy to take on those challenges and, and discuss them online and stuff. And you can contact me either at Dr. Gandalf 52 or at EGP Learning to discuss them in more detail. And um, have a read of the show notes first. There's a little bit more information about, um, I guess, my perspective on that. And I've probably made it clearer in the notes because I have time to write it. But more than happy to take that further. Uh, next up, uh, we've got the big news story of the week as well that was about the pharmacy shortages. Now, this is something that I commented on um, last week in terms of the River Oxaban shortage. So if you've seen our episode from last week and the primary care health tech news blast and stuff about this, feel free to have a look, another look. But it's broken to the wider media about the challenges that are currently being faced in primary care in terms of medication supplies. There's a variety of reasons why this is happening. So there's issues in terms of global demand, in terms of medications is increasing. Um, the cost of the raw materials is actually also increasing. Um, regulatory changes in terms of how factories in particular deliver their medication to people. There have been episodes where certain factories have been shut down because of regulatory issues and stuff, and that's led to a significant change in supply nationally and internationally. Fluctuations in the exchange rate are a massive issue, um, and particularly with the change in the pound rate versus the euro, um, you know, many companies are now finding it's a lot more cost effective for them to supply medications to Europe and prioritise that market in comparison to the UK market, which has led to deficiencies for ourselves. And then the other part is generic companies not no longer producing unprofitable lines, um, which previously they may have done, and therefore the supply and the overall amount that's around has changed. These are some of the, the concepts that are discussed in the article. And again, the links in the show notes and stuff. Um, however, there are other areas, I think, that are neglected to be mentioned. So one, um, many people working in primary care will know about the, the drive to reduce costs in terms of pharmacy prescriptions and that kind of stuff and, and medication bills for CCGs over the past couple of years, because it's generally thought to be an easy and quick win for most CCGs to tackle. This has led to use of things like what we call branded generics. So, you know, particular brands of generic medications because they are more cost effective um, or, you know, switches in terms of other kind of brands and that kind of stuff um, to basically bring down the baseline. The problem then comes as if these supplies suddenly disappear and there's a significant amount of work that needs to happen in terms of pharmacists having to source new supplies managing those changes in the upset from the patients, as well as then the prescriptions need to be changed by the practice because they can't be amended um, by the pharmacy themselves. And therefore, as a result of that, issues in terms of continued supply. Um, and I think that's something that's definitely not discussed and raised as an issue. So whilst although we've seen a drop in CCG's budgets for their prescriptions, which has been beneficial for them, the opportunity cost in terms of what that has cost practices and what that has cost pharmacists is not factored in. And more importantly, the cost to patients in terms of harm and potential things like admissions because patients have had to miss their medications, that is definitely not costed. And I would argue that if it was to be, the overall cost to the system would dwarf the amount of savings that have been made by CCGs. So maybe it's time that we see the end of branded generics and script switches and all that kind of stuff um, and focus more on generic supplies purely to enable effective prescribing, unless, of course, clinically indicated. And maybe we should see some better improvement in terms of how these kind of things are managed and potentially even costed, because actually, if that was to happen, I think we would see a much better system. Um, I guess other parts as well is the question about gaming by suppliers and warehouses and that kind of stuff. So this is something I've heard commented by pharmacy colleagues across the country, both on social media and locally. But one of the other challenges is that 
because of the uncertainty of the markets and stuff, many stockers, stockists and wholesalers are deliberately holding stock to either drive up prices or to make sure they've got continued supply and then releasing these at short notice. So therefore, we've got short use dates, use by dates and that kind of stuff for pharmacies to process. And then that's causing clear challenges for both patients, for pharmacists and for practices. Um, I, th I think this is an area that does, and I, I mentioned this last week, and I'm going to reiterate my challenge to our Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, Matt Hancock, um, to work with the organisations that support us and monitor us in terms of giving guidance like the RCGP, like the BMA, the GPC and the Royal Society for Pharmacy and stuff to come up with clear guidelines and direction of how we manage shortages of medications simply saying that this shouldn't happen and to stop stockpiling clearly is not working because we're seeing an increased problem with this and regardless of what people say as brexit draws closer i anticipate and i think many do that this will be a bigger challenge that we see and ultimately um whether brexit is the cause or not which it probably isn't there are wider things at bay it is definitely pouring oil onto the fire and causing more challenges and stuff. So I think we do need to see um, clear direction in terms of how to manage continued problems because this problem is not going away. It is going to get worse. And the question is, at what point will that harm then start to impact, affect patients? Um, pain medications and that kind of stuff is clearly a frustrating thing. However, if we were to have lack of supply of other medications like um, DMAR drugs and that kind of stuff, we are potentially talking about um, significant damage to patients and potentially even loss of life or function, um, which is obviously something that should never happen purely and simply because of political issues. Um, so I, I hope we see some changes. Again, do read the show notes because I think there's more information in there for you to have a look at, particularly around things like um, the, the tariffs and that kind of stuff, which again is another area that needs cha changing. Um, so I hope you guys have enjoyed this quick summary. I'm trying to keep these updates and things brief so that there's not too much information and just a summary of the, the recent events and stuff. Health tech wise has not been as much because it's been a very primary care focus, but I hope that next week we'll have some more updates for you. Um, in terms of health tech, obviously do feel free to follow our tip Thursday. Um, so every Thursday, um, every Thursday I release a, my review of a health tech kind of tool for you to use either in primary care. Um, so this week I covered the Buku Hematology app, which I feel is probably the best hematology based app resource for clinicians. Have a look at the video to see why I believe this. And I think it is really an effective one that you should use because it should save you a lot of time in terms of learning and stuff, and as well as be helpful for your care of your patients. As always, guys, if you want to con contact me, feel free to do so. As I mentioned earlier, I'm available on Twitter at DrGandalf52 or at EGP Learning. Also available on our Facebook page um, and YouTube as well. Um, if you want to support me, go ahead and do so. We've got a Patreon page and the link is in the, in the show notes and stuff. And as always, guys, subscribe, comment, share, and let's keep in enhancing your primary care and learning. See you later. Bye.